0: Everything changes all the time. The product itself changes. Then you learn how to talk about your product uh, better and uh, it never stops to improve really because you, you get to know more people and you hear them talk about their needs. So you know better how to tailor those explanations to what the person actually needs in their business. This is Aaron May.
1: I'm John Henry Forster. And this is Awkward Silences. Silences.
2: (laughs) Hello everybody and welcome back to Awkward Silences. Today we're here with Jane Portman. She is the co-founder of UserList. Uh, That's a customer lifecycle email tool for SaaS companies. She's involved in product there, has past experience as a UX leader. She hosts a podcast called UI Breakfast. Um, And today we're going to talk about how you can actually use sales demos as a really good customer research tool and how she's gone about doing that at UserList. So thank you so much for joining
0: us, Jane. Hi, Arian. My pleasure to be here. I've also got JH here.
1: Yeah, the overlap of sales discovery and user research has always fascinated me, but it's not something I've thought about a lot, so I'm excited to dig into it.
0: Awesome. Well,
2: let's dig right in. So, Jane, tell us a little bit about, I know your background, you know, you came from UX previously and you host the podcast all about UI. How did you come to start
0: using sales demos as a tool for customer research in your current role? Well... Without defining the format, whether it's a sales call or a demo or anything like that, we always knew that talking to customers live on a call is... uh, Is a life-changing practice which is super important to our product so we did a round of interviews even before we started doing the product and those were not sales calls but rather customer discovery calls so we used completely different methods for those but once we started building the product then we adopted this practice of getting on the call with people who wanted to use it so the early early adopters they couldn't even get access to the tool until they had a in-person call with the founders. And it worked out pretty great. And with the time we we started to feel more confident. We gained more skills uh, as interviewers. And at the same time, we became more confident in the product. So right now it feels much better. And it also feels like we have a few tips to share with those who are just starting out. Fantastic.
2: And so you
0: you could not use your product, become a customer without doing a, a demo, is that right? So I said, that's right. We would vet the the people who would want who would want to use it, and we wanted to make sure they're a good fit before handing them the keys to our MVP version of Userlist. That was like a year or two ago that we started.
1: Where did uh, where did that idea come from? Like, what what was the thinking behind it?
0: Great question. I think we just all of us, there was a team of three at that time. we shared the sentiment that the early customers should be very qualified. So we wanted to learn from them as much as to let them know how to use the product, both of that
2: and as you're when your product is new, right? and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're figuring out, right? Like that product market fit, who is that ideal customer? Who is that qualified customer? How do you know what to screen for? to find these you know good fit customers as you're figuring out what a good fit customer means you know how do you do those at the same time
0: I guess this question should be answered differently for each individual business. As for our team, we were from day one pretty much set on building tools for SaaS founders like ourselves. To have a quality tool for running their day-to-day operations, to talk to their customers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we didn't have um, a problem identifying a good fit. It was more about screening out people who had been misinformed about like what our tool can do maybe they had um, some false expectations that it was an email marketing tool while it is a tool for sending automated email to the customers after they sign up so making this uh, difference between like pre-sign up and post-sign up communications has been pretty pretty crucial actually took us like a year to figure out how exactly to communicate that <laughs> so that people are not confused anymore so it would and we also had some consultancies who were going to use us for client communications and maybe mobile app owners and all of these people they could probably like really bend user list to to use for their use case but we were just particularly looking for SaaS founders who have you know started um recruiting their customers already and uh, just just running a product with a solid website uh, with a solid idea and uh, so on and so forth.
1: Nice. Yeah, it's a really clever idea. When you say, you know, you can use sales demos for user research, like how do you and the team think about it? Is it like is it's it's a sales demo first and if we learn anything on the inside side, that's great as a secondary effect or is it kind of 50/50 or is it actually more about user research and then at the end you pitch the product too or like what, is, what does that like actually look like in, uh, in how you do it day-to-day?
0: I guess it depends on the approach you take to the demos. In, in our demos, we spend enormous amount of time talking about their product the problems they are starting uh, they're struggling with what kind of solutions they've been trying to find before they came across user list and so on founders they're never tired of talking about themselves and this is <laughs> like gold mine for us in terms of product research <laughs> we understand what they don't like in other solutions what what needs they have and also user list is a tool that's like the primary use case is probably onboarding users and onboarding users is a struggle for every sas so it's always interesting to learn what particular steps they're using or struggling with and how our product um, mechanics can uh, help with that and another tip that we did was showing up together at least two people out of three for every call So it was not just learning, but more like finding out customer insights in real time. And we didn't have to share the recap because the uh, decision makers were all in the call. So we were much, much closer to our users this way than just building a product uh, in the dark, sort of.
2: Nice. So it sounds like you sort of, in a way, stumbled upon the opportunity by not having, you know, an hour's worth of demo content (laughs) <laughs> to to present and like actually this is a we have this time this is a good opportunity to go ahead and use it to get to know the people that we're trying to to build that future product for at the same time
0: it's not like we didn't know that an hour-long demo presentation can bore everyone, like any possible person in the world. So, yeah, but it was... Uh, the, the format kind of emerged over time from us being very shy and just, like, finding the perfect answers. Now we're a little bit more straightforward with, with answers that, uh, with the questions that we really care about. Because, like, the early ones were really all over the place. But, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> something along those lines.
1: Yeah, what's what's cool about this too, right, is it seems like, you know, your customers can change over time. Like your early adopters might be different than your later adopters. And so, if you kind of have the practice of always doing some discovery before a demo, you can a like tailor the demo hopefully in a more compelling way to the, to the person based on what you know. But it sounds like also, you know, if there's trends in your user base that are changing over time, like you you get some awareness to those. Have has that has any of that been the experience that the team has seen?
0: Oh, absolutely. And uh, like everything changes all the time, the product itself changes, then you learn how to talk about your product uh, better. And uh, it never stops to improve, really, because you, you get to know more people and you hear them talk about their needs. So you know better how to explain your features and how, like you mentioned, tailor those explanations to what the person actually needs in their business and so how has
2: your customer you know evolved or your understanding of your customer evolved over the you know year or two you've been doing these interviews well great
0: question uh it's hard to say we we had this uh mythical imaginary Mm -hmm. uh persona of a SaaS founder Mm -hmm. and now that we've seen dozens of them they they become more embodied (laughs) sort of Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh We've done we've done some exercises on positioning, and we have uh, figured out that generally speaking, there are two different directions where our customers are. So one is very very tiny teams where the founder is typically technical, and we are talking to the founder in particular, and the other customer persona is probably a dedicated marketer at a slightly larger team who have like larger user counts and different needs. So over time we have under realized that we we're probably better off serving category 1, but um, it's it's probably still a learning curve. We're still um, figuring out like what particular stage is the best fit for for user list.
2: So tell us more about These interviews and, you know, these sales demo sort of customer interview hybrids, how do they, how are you, you structure them and how do you uh, get them on your calendar?
0: We have a secondary call to action on website. So the hero section has the primary call to action is uh, start your free trial. And the secondary one is book a demo, which sends the person to our Calendly account and uh, Mm -hmm. then they book a demo and we use the round robin feature which allows to (laughs) schedule uh with one of of the few team members so for each demo there is one responsible person and the other one kind of joins voluntarily if they can but most times it does work out and and an important part for us was to put together a pretty detailed a landing page for people who have booked a demo so they have like a couple pages of uh, te- well not a couple pages but some text to read some ideas links to different materials that can help them prepare maybe do some reading watch our walkthrough video or something like that so that they come more equipped and therefore we can make the discussion more focused so mm-hmm. that has been working out pretty well and some of the customers have already for example, watch the walkthrough video. So they don't need to be explained the basic features and we can dive into more intricate details or discussing their particular use case.
1: That makes sense. What uh, what sort of questions do you typically ask? Are there, are there ones that you like always go to in these in upfront in the demos?
0: Sure. Well, <laughs> tell us more about your businesses definitely. Uh, number one. Yeah, uh, but that's more of an opener. How did you hear about us and... Uh, That usually expands into the situation that they were in. And another favorite of mine is what other tools have you been considering? Because we're never shy to recommend our competitors if they're a better fit. So just understanding the customer's um, vision of the product space (laughs) is always very helpful. Like one of the biggest struggles is that there are so many tools out there, but uh, most of the people who come to our polls, they're only familiar with like two, three solutions. So we want to know what they think uh, of, of the solutions and how they think UserList uh, relates to that. And that's also helpful to know just how they learned and what part of our marketing message resonated with them. So that helps with the learning about the user, but also learning about what, what worked in our marketing efforts, which is really, really helpful. And I guess the, well, definitely gold buying comes up when we ask what challenges they have when it comes to user onboarding and what challenges they have when it comes to using other email tools. And especially in the early calls, we learned a lot about uh, frustrations with, with other tools. So we always try to make notes of that and uh, somehow reflect that in our product development. And our favorite is the closing question, which is, we borrowed it from Stelly FT, to be honest, uh, because we didn't have a strong closing before, but his question sounds something like, how can we help you become a paying customer? and uh, How how can we help you give us your money? (laughs) Yeah, this uh, puts the conversation into really closing uh, situation without being overly salesy. So it's not like, how can I get your credit card right now? It's more about like what the next steps are for you.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I like it. I like how direct it is. It's like, look, let's be adults here. (laughs) We want you to be a customer. What's what's it going to take? I like that a lot. So you're asking a lot of the same questions to different people who meet this pretty tight kind of definition you have of what a good customer is for you. What are you doing with those answers? Are you, you know, cataloging them in some way so you can see trends over time or how do you kind of get them to add up to, to you know, more than the sum of their parts?
0: We don't have a super detailed way of cataloging the answers. So I guess for the feature requests, mm-hmm. that part we we try to be more meticulous about because we do make notes about the features they asked for. So when we do bring the feature live, we can get in touch with those people, maybe their customers by then, or maybe they remain leads and let them know that this is now live and they really wanted it. So that part is, is, a, is an important part. As far as the insights uh, themselves it's more of like a general feeling and that in that regard the two people being on the call together helps because we all accumulate those insights from <laughs> straight from the source <laughs> in real time and no need to recap because i think it was introduced by basecamp they didn't particularly have any feature request logs or something like that and basically Uh, something that's on your mind all the time, something that comes up all the time. You cannot really forget about it. So it really hurts. And therefore, you'll probably be addressing that first. Yeah,
1: yeah. The good ideas of a way of uh, coming back coming back up over and over.
2: And that is, I guess, the beauty of, you know, being a small team is that you basically have nearly a hundred percent coverage of you and your co-founder being on these calls. So yeah, the idea of let's file this away and tag it with metadata and you know, this robust library for ourselves to access when we were there in the call is probably probably too heavy for your needs, right?
0: We're definitely, I'm a, as, as a host of a UX podcast and generally speaking, UX practitioner, I'm definitely aware of the solutions. For example, Sophia Quintero's Enjoy HQ for yeah. cataloging mm-hmm. customer feedback. It looks amazing. And I can't wait until we have the volume enough to, right, right, right. to use things like that. Or maybe Prodpad by Jana Basto similar products, they definitely are necessary if you're dealing with like hundreds of customers. We're not dealing with hundreds of interviews yet. It's more like dozens. So maybe a little bit later. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. A quick awkward interruption here. It's fun to talk about user research, but you know what's really fun is doing user research. And we want to help you with that.
2: We want to help you so much that we have created a special place. It's called userinterviews.com slash awkward for you to get your first three participants free.
1: We all know we should be talking to users more, so we went ahead and removed as many barriers as possible. It's going to be easy. It's going to be quick. You're going to love it, so get over there and check it out.
2: And then when you're done with that, go on over to your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review, please.
1: Do you find that users are always kind of up for the questions before getting to see the product? I'm just thinking about an experience I had a couple months ago where... I was on a demo call for an app I had, you know, looked into quite a bit, and they were doing some similar discovery stuff, and it was kind of dragging on. I just found myself at some point being like, "Can I just see the thing? Like, I just want to like, <laughs> I just want to see what it looks like." Does that ever come up, or are people usually happy to, you know, answer the questions and, and dig in upfront?
0: I guess this is different for each ecosystem. In our like calendar space that we uh, live in. People are always happy to share their founder stories, where their business is at at the moment. So we've never really experienced anybody like really bored because uh, you can really lo- talk a lot about yourself and your business. However, I want to give you an example of a superhuman demo that I was um, having maybe half a year ago or something. And the lady on the other side, she didn't even ask anything about myself, how I use email, I mean, she did have a couple very brief questions, but I was really left like mm, in a place where I'm not interesting to them at all as a person. They just wanted to take me through the very same drill that they do for everybody to train me, to use their shortcuts in real life. Well, that's an entirely different approach to demos. Mm. And that might work at scale, but uh, in our place, we're very much in the relationship building business. So it's not as important for us to close the deal as it is to learn about the people and the people to learn about us to a certain extent and to, to see that they're humans on this side.
1: It sounds like you, you get a lot out of these you know demo con- conversations and questions and stuff. Do you also do more traditional user research to supplement that and get further insights that way? Or, or does this actually provide enough input that it's most of what you spend your time doing?
0: At the current stage of our product, we don't have any dedicated user interviewers down the road. Well, we do have some customer conversations from time to time uh, just to learn how people are using the tool, but that is not not even close in numbers to, to the demo calls. And maybe later we will have more systematic ways of doing that. When it comes to research, we uh, sort of advocate the... For each feature, we build a very simple version of it, and then we roll it out and collect feedback in written form. That's how our product loop works for existing customers. So it's more like product-driven as opposed to interview-driven, even though, of course, it'd be great to have both.
2: (laughs) Why in written form? You don't hear that a lot or, yeah.
0: Just because we do roll something out and then people start using it, so it's easier for them to get to just drop a note if something is working or if it's not mm-hmm. and the most mm-hmm. obvious way is just to collect uh, feedback in that way as opposed to mm-hmm. proactively asking them to schedule calls
2: right like right that. and do you do you have like something in app like leave feedback at this email address or um, some sort of form or a way to collect that feedback or
0: we have a pretty uh, pretty active email list was used to be a waiting list and now it's a mix of waiting list and, and the customers so we do notify them of new features so sometimes mm-hmm. they will just see that and then use that and when they do have feedback they will just get in touch and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. since most of the customers they do get in touch with our support team while onboarding because they do have questions uh, it's uh, like at different type of questions maybe about the integration or setting the right conditions so it's it's a relationship business once again Uh, therefore it's not a problem for them to just drop us an email and uh, we'll we'll get uh, replied Mm -hmm. i
1: I feel like this almost should be a a spinoff episode we do at some point because i've we have like pretty close relationships with you know some of our users as well and there have actually been times where i saw they use something in a interesting way and i'll shoot them a note and like ask them for feedback on it or you know, we're exploring a new concept for something that they've given us feedback on the past and I'll send them a mock and just say like, Hey, if you have a second, what do you think about this? But I'm always hesitant to talk about it. Cause it feels like kind of like something you shouldn't do. It feels like you should always be on a call, you know, Why? doing it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I find like it's really valuable, but it'd be a cool, mm-hmm. that's like a whole nother topic to explore. Maybe we should do that a, a separate time.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we, we have found when the early stage we had that requirement to get on the call with us we had found that a large portion of people they either don't have time or dedicated for us or just downright not comfortable talking to people about like products Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. demos and uh, if i didn't know that demos could be so nice i would probably have the same feelings like a few years Mm -hmm. ago so because Mm -hmm. there is a bunch of terrible demos out there as well
2: well, that's a good point. How do you How do you? or do you do anything to let folks like that know? And I'm one of them, you know, I'm like, kill me. I don't want to be on a demo ever. <laughs> you know, how do you let people know it's not going to be a terrible experience for them and that, you know, it's in their interest potentially to spend some of their time, you know, with you on a demo?
0: We don't try to To tell them that, it's just we have different opt-in options on the website. So if you want to, you're welcome, here's a self-serve sign-up, or Mm -hmm. here's the little secondary white button where you can jump in a call. Nice. There's all
2: these different inputs for user insight. There's passive and active, and you've got insights coming in from you know, in a larger organization where you have lots of teams, you've got insights coming in from your sales team, from your support team, right? From support tickets, from um, Slack and email and, you know, all these different channels of, of feedback coming in. One of the, you know, concerns with having, well, really anybody, right? We all bring biases to conversations, but with a sales, you know, driven conversation where the goal is, to sell, how do you overcome any potential biases or conflicts of interest to uh, make sure that, A, you're you know doing your job as a founder and a salesperson to sell, but B, also really getting objective or useful insights at the same time?
0: This is a fantastic question. And of course, there is no silver bullet there. Like, how do you <laughs> remove biases from a very biased right. How do you be a perfect, objective person at all times? Yeah. I guess one of the recipes to that is just to be more realistic at all times about yourself and to understand a few things that A, you're not the center of their universe, B, like hearing nice things probably is not exactly um, an equivalent for these people ready to start being a paying customer so we Mm -hmm, have mm -hmm. during the demos we try to nurture relationships while when it comes to actually using the product then we start to be more serious about like making these insights very important like during a sales call you can get the like 10 different feature requests but this person won't even ever become a paying customer so it's nice to have their uh, imagination run wild but we will probably give their feedback more weight when they start a demo uh, start their trial and um, get on board and actually produce way more like contextual feedback about the product itself. That's when it becomes more more important in our eyes. And before that, it's more about relationships and just having nice conversation and learning about their struggles as opposed to mm-hmm. uh, like hearing what they want to have. Because people never know what they want to have and then they have hard time like imagining what the solutions might be. So just learning about the problems is probably a good idea.
2: It sounds like you're really, and again, this is one of the benefits of being in every conversation and being a smaller team, you're doing a lot with that data you're bringing in, right? You are treating it as a sales call and a user research call where, well, depending on who the insight is coming from, we're going to process it in this way. On the one hand, we're building this relationship to to nurture a customer, get a customer, but then, you know... At the same time, again, depending on where we are in the relationship and who the person is, there's product insight there too. So that takes a lot of skill to be able to do all of that with one conversation, right? But that's, you know, being the UX background and the founder, you kind of are equipped to do all of that. Is that a fair... (laughs) assessment of what's going on
0: so much so much praise (laughs) in a few sentences but you really don't have to be that deliberate that i don't know wise or that educated or that experienced to get started with this basically just getting on a call and talking is already a huge step in that direction Mm -hmm. and you you might as well make it entirely unstructured or whatever play by ear and that would still be a huge step in that direction as opposed to surveys and other ways of just collecting written insights from people because right. like the way that the written feedback with the person you don't know it can be skewed like emotionally in all kinds of directions you never know what they really intended you never know their emotions you can't ask for clarifications it's it's really a different story
1: mm-hmm Here's a here's a random offer I'll throw out there for any listeners. If you're a UX researcher, go sit in on a few, go sit in on a few sales demos, and then come talk to us about uh, what that experience was like. Because I I don't think people do it very often. I think I think in larger right. orgs, people are pretty siloed, and it'd be cool uh, for somebody to do it and then like. Because I I think there, I think you're right that there's a lot lurking here that goes kind of unseen or unheard.
2: It's true, and I do think there's like there's no one there's no one channel, right, where honesty is poured out and then the others are sort of suboptimal to that, right? So, like we know we're not supposed to ask leading and hypothetical questions and we know that when we're trying to sell our product, we're you know going to bias against honest answers. But there is something about you're on a sales call, I am trying to sell you something and the customer says, "Look, you know, I'm not going to buy this because of the price or because we need this feature and this is mission critical to our work. Now, you don't really know if they're going to buy until they buy, right? But there is a real raw honesty there that is very useful
0: product information, right? You know, we don't even, I think, treat this as much as a sales call. I mean, the word sales, it probably... It's, it's more of a direction where this is heading in terms of like both people who are right. on different sides of the mic they have the same solid um, like intention one is presenting a solution and the other needs needs to solve their problem so i would rather call these like problem solving calls and mm-hmm. in the end it can be either a sale of our product or it can be us pointing them to other solutions which happens quite a bit and we're always happy to do that because they're like solutions of multiple of different complexity out in their mark in the market so it's more like problem-solving calls and uh, like as product people we we love problem solving <laughs> be it in mm-hmm. the level of an individual customer or at the scale of, of product a software product
1: -hmm. It's almost like a first date, right? It's like, let's get to know each other and see if if there's anything here. Uh, Yeah, that's a
0: good way to put it. I was going to say therapy,
2: but same difference. (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's solve our problems together. Tell me about your life, right? (laughs) As you said, founders will talk about themselves for for some time. So, (laughs) depending on who your audience is, but just what
0: does that product, that problem discovery look like? But I think that's interesting. we've had a few calls with consultants who work in the email space and they can talk about problems in the email space even (laughs) more than founders and just basically every person who does real work they are always happy and thrilled to share their findings especially if that those findings are from like working with multiple clients in the industry
2: yeah absolutely i've never i always ask you know any kind of interview i'm doing not a podcast um, but user research yeah like some version of where's where's your pain what are your problems and never once has anyone had nothing to say <laughs> yeah yeah cool what else you know it's a part of this macro trend i'm sort of seeing too and maybe this is just my nature that you know confirmation bias but you do see this kind of blending of what is a sales call and what is a user research interview, what is market research, what is user research happening in that? You know, you were saying, well, is it a sales call or is it a, a problem discovery call? But that sales folks in general are trying to make the approach more consultative, right, and more user driven and discovery driven and less hard salesy. So I do think there is this natural kind of blending of formats where everybody in every team ultimately has slightly different goals and objectives they're trying to hit as a department or a person, but ultimately understanding the user
0: is the pathway to reach that goal no matter what. Absolutely. And I would say that uh, sales calls are in my mind, a, a subset of those generally uh, speaking user research calls, but it's even easier. Because you're not disguising your sales intentions there. Like when it is that call, like I might, let's just jump on a call. I will ask you a few questions and you're like, I'm, it might be my personal problem because my marketing guard is always up to the sky, like on these, because I know what, what stands behind that. And most likely they do want to sell me something in the end when it is a sales demo, we all know like why we're here. And it's mm-hmm, always better mm-hmm. to be clear about your intent. And I would even say that it's more, much more uh, productive when this intent is on the table and when people like sit down to figure out whether it's a good fit or not.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I have a tangent uh, question. How, how did you land on the name UI Breakfast for your podcast? I, I remember coming across that when I was listening to a bunch of different UX podcasts and it always stuck with me. It's very unique.
0: Oh thank you. It's it's a long story. It comes back to like goes back to 2012, 2013. I was before that, I had grown up to being a creative director in an agency and then in 2012 I started working as an independent consultant and I sort of dabbled in productized consulting and tried to put together a uh, productized packages for my design services that was many years ago and i had uh, (laughs) don't laugh now i had packages which were called like i think like mobile espresso and double device latte and Mm -hmm. something else so i had these like coffee cups as illustrations for them (laughs) and (laughs) the overall logo was ui breakfast and i don't particularly remember why exactly that name came up and then uh, so my consulting practice has been under that name for years and when it came time to starting the podcast i uh, probably in 2014 i think then i just i just brought the same name to the table so so now consultancy is wrapped up because now i'm a full-time founder but your breakfast remains <laughs> <laughs> cool Fantastic. Anything else, uh, Jane, that we should know about
2: sales demos that aren't really sales demos
0: for user research? <laughs> I guess general practices apply. And that's why I really like the name of your show. Because uh, of course, it's <laughs> not Pushing your opinion, but like literally shutting up and listening what other person has to say is probably number one mm-hmm. advice to anyone yeah. who's doing anything on customer calls. So <laughs> that's that always good to remember. Like, of course, you come there, especially now at later stage, we have a nicer product. I always want to boast and talk about stuff, but it, it takes more uh, courage to just not talk and and listen instead. <laughs> <laughs>
2: just letting that one right oh you're second. gonna do the awkward silence uh, <laughs> it up. Bye bye. thanks for listening to awkward silences brought to you by user interviews
1: theme music by fragile gang
2: editing and sound production by carrie boyd